That's a statement we can all take to heart, I think. God is in control of all these things. And whatever trial we endure here on earth, it is temporary. Whether it's big, like a major life change, or it's a two-minute trial where the words aren't on the screen. It's going to be okay, all right? Um, And I can tell you that that was my mistake, that the words weren't on the screen, because I didn't change that song from last week. So Jamie put up the song that was in there from last week. You can dock my pay, I guess. So Um, that's my fault. Anyway, we tried to fix it, and the Internet rebelled. Anybody have that problem? Okay. All right, I've got a three-part question for you, and it's all the same question. What's the biggest question you have ever asked yourself? What's the biggest question you have ever asked? What's the biggest question you have for Jesus? We're going to be in Mark chapter 14 still, and this is a long chapter with a lot of stuff. And just to give you a a heads up on what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Today, we look at the moment of Jesus' betrayal through the Passover. We've led up, we talked about Judas last week and and, uh, what he did, and we're going to see more of that that builds upon what's going on here. And then now, uh, we are going to see this dinner that he has with them. Next week, we're going to talk about the institution of the Lord's Supper, as it says in my... uh, translation here, the, the place where it all began. And then the week following, we're going to actually observe the Lord's Supper. So two weeks from this Sunday, we will observe the Lord's Supper. So we'll look and lead into it this week and then get to it the, uh, the next couple of weeks and then um, get to it on the first Sunday of June. We'll put that together. But if you look in your Bible right now, we are just getting started in Mark chapter 14. This is basically the entire account of Jesus's last three days of life and what he goes through. And ultimately, we see the fulfillment that is in chapter 15 through his crucifixion and the ultimate result, spoiler alert, he doesn't stay in the ground. Hallelujah. But we see why today, this is a challenging passage actually to get through because really it's a lot of narrative. It's a lot of this happened kind of thing. But there's a question that is asked by each one of the disciples. That's why I wanted to to start that thought with you. What's the biggest question you've ever asked? And I think it's important to, to recognize to whom you ask that question. Is it to yourself? Is it just generally to the existence of the humanities on earth? Or is it to God. Here we see one of the biggest questions we are going to ever ask is to Jesus. And each one of the disciples asked it. Eleven of them had one answer. The twelfth had a different. So Mark chapter 14 verses 12 through 21. I invite you to stand as we read that together. And 
And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they'd sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Lord, such a humbling passage. Because really it could have been any of them. And that question we need to ask ourselves now, is it, is it I, is it me? Teach us to be faithful to you, in Jesus' name. I hope you have your Bibles, because I'm going to flip back a couple of pages, and I didn't put those words on the screen. Just give me a heads up. By the way, you need to have your Bibles. It may be on the screen, and I generally know that the words match what, or in some translation, what we have here. However, you need to know what this Bible says, because I... While I am accountable for what I teach, you are accountable for what you know as well. So we all need to be in this word. But we're going to go back a couple of pages to Mark chapter 13. I'm sorry, 11. Come on, Greg. Mark chapter 11. And do a little bit of comparison here. Mark chapter 11 is the start of Holy Week. What we observe as the... The, the last week of Jesus' life. Remember, the Gospels are not, in a sense, bi biographies. They are biographical. They do tell a lot of the life of Jesus that, that matters, especially. But we don't get, you know, this is the high school he went to, and then he got his four-year degree and his doctorate and all these different kinds of things, and his first job working in his father's carpentry shop. We don't get all that stuff. What we see and we talked about it a little bit last week in a different sense, but what we see in the Gospels is the fulfillment of history. We see why Jesus matters, who he is, and what he came to do. And we get little snippets here and there of, of his life along the way, especially the beginning of it in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. But in Mark and in John, especially both of those, we get Jesus' fulfillment I mean, you get that in Matthew and Luke as well, but Mark and, and, and John don't deal with a lot of that uh, early detail. What you see is, this is why Jesus is here. And we look at this right now, and, and this is really what we end up seeing. But uh, this little passage here in Mark, Mark 11 is the, uh, the triumphal entry, or what we call Palm Sunday. 
And we see this kind of prophecy happen. And I, I want to do a little comparison to chapter 14 where we've been. Because Jesus does the same kind of thing uh, in, in verses 1 through 11 here that he does for the disciples in chapter 14. Uh, now there they now that when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany and to Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went back and found a colt tied at the door inside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Okay, you see, then uh, the fulfillment of the worship and the Hosanna and all that is, is important. But do you see the parallel I was drawing there to what we just read in John chapter 14? I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14. Started talking about the other Gospels, and I get these names flying around in my head. We see the same kind of instruction given to these disciples. They're unnamed, and they were told to do something kind of odd, and it happened exactly the way Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, how did it all come together? Did Jesus have a committee meeting beforehand and say, okay, well, on this Sunday, I'm going to make this, this, and this, and this happen? If he was Baptist, he probably did. But chances are, God had this set. He had it ready to go because he knew what he was going to do that week. And all of these religious festivals that end up being these basically these routines and these rites of passage that they have to do every year to, to what they do to, to appease their own sinful nature. What we see here fulfilled ultimately is God's salvation for us. And this is all part of it. Jesus says, this is going to happen. They say, I guess we ought to do what he told us to. And they go in, and they look for a colt. They untie it. They get the question. They, they answer it, and nobody bothers them about it. The same kind of thing happens in chapter 14, as we did there. He sent two of his disciples, it says in verse 13, to prepare for Passover. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. It's an interesting statement. You go, well... Anybody could have been carrying a jar. That's true. But the fact was, you remember what happened in John chapter 4? Well, I am talking about John this time. The woman at the well. Who usually carried the water? The woman did. So a man carrying a jar was actually a sign that this is somebody they should come talk to. Now, you can go into whatever you want to about, you know, men and women and their roles and culture. It's just the way it happened, okay? I'm just telling you how the Bible reads here. So they go to this place, and God has it ready. And he shows them a very specific sign. In chapter 11, it was look for a donkey that had never been ridden to be tied to a post and, and get that donkey and bring him so that I can ride him. And here it says, go look for a man carrying a jug of water. And guess what they do? They go in and they see a man carrying a jug of water. He has very particular instructions. It says, wherever he enters, in verse 14, it says, wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He's got it figured out. He knows what's going to happen. 
And whatever the festival they might be celebrating at that time, there was no greater festival in the Jewish faith than that of the Passover. The remembrance of what God did in rescuing the children of Egypt, or children of Israel out of Egypt. Come on, Greg. And so he, they, they, they observe this every year as a reminder of God's love and his deliverance for his people who are called by his name. And they're going to do it together. They're going to celebrate that together. In verse 15, I'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. Be, get, it, get it done. Cook the meal. Prepare all of these, these uh, the, the, the parts of it. And if you've ever seen a, a Seder service, S-E-D-E-R, there's a lot to it. And I can get you a pretty good training video on it that was made for our church by somebody who knew what I was doing. If you're interested, some of you have that link in your email right now. Yes, you do. It's still there somewhere, I promise. I watched it about a month ago. But God had things prepared. And he had been preparing the people of Israel for this day since the moment of the Exodus. That the Passover meal pointed to the ultimate picture of God's redemption of humanity. Not just the children of Israel, but to everybody. And Jesus comes and he says, we're going to do this together because it is the time for that to happen. Remember all the things that have been happening the last few days, some, some strange things. He, he, in chapter 13, he talked about the ends of the, end of the age and what's going to happen at the culmination of history. And, you know, it, it still makes some of us scratch our heads about exactly what that calendar is going to look like. Guess what? There's one person who knows who it is, and it's not you and it's not me. It's Jesus. He knows when it's come together. He's coming back. You need to be ready. And all of those things, these, these teachings and these reminders along the way in this last week of his life. Remember, it starts on Sunday in chapter 11. Three days later, four days later, here we are in chapter 14, and he's still going. We're going to find parallel passages to this in uh, Matthew chapter 26 and in Luke chapter 22 and John chapter 13. They're all leading to the same spot. And they're seeing that this fulfillment that they're going to experience is a unique, unique point in all of history. This is the place of salvation. This is where it all comes together. It is everything before and everything since points right to this moment. And there are specific things that are going to happen along the way. When it was evening, verse 17, it says, He came with the twelve. So they're all there. Matthew and James and John and James and Judas and the other Judas and Simon and the other Simon, Peter and Andrew. All these guys are coming together. They're going to have this most holy of meals together. And to them, it's probably a typical experience. It's something that they do every year, and it might be a routine. But what they do not anticipate during this is the question that will be asked of them. Or actually the statement that is made and the question they will ask following. This changes everything. And one of the things that we find in Mark, you do see it uh, that in Matthew and in 
in John, you see that, that Judas is specifically pointed out in the conversation. But you don't see that in Mark. It's an open-ended question. And he leaves them wondering. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, if there wasn't a conversation before, what do you think happened after that? You know, after they all moved to the same side of the table so they could get the painting done. Just kidding. I'm glad you're with me. We're there. All right. No, they're, they're, they're reclining around the table, and they're, they're taking this together, and they, their attention is on their teacher, on Jesus. And he says this. And if they were talking, I bet it got quiet. But if they weren't talking, I bet the whispers started. Just imagine what it would have been like to be one of the 12 in that moment. He doesn't tell them who's going to do it. We do ultimately see that it is Judas. But every one of his friends in this circle have to figure out what that question means or what that statement means. And they start asking. They became sorrowful. And they to say to him one after the other, is it I? Now, I know a lot of us, are perfectly willing to carry that measure of guilt on our hearts. We think that our individual sin is why Jesus went to the cross. And that's a both-and statement. Because sin needed a sacrifice. Sin demanded a sacrifice. And one sin is the same as a corporate sin. But we also need to realize that, that Jesus had a plan for it. And that's where we are right now. He's here fulfilling his plan. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? Over and over. Can you imagine what that would have been? Was it, was it a, like a popcorn question? Was it this guy and then this guy and then this guy and then this guy? Or was it, you know... In, in the prayer circle where you don't know who to pray first and you designate somebody and then the person next to him is last. So I'll go first. Brother Bob, would you finish for me? And meanwhile, we'll get everybody else. Was it that? Were we asked the question in that kind of order? I don't know. Interesting thoughts along the way, though. Fact is, is that everybody asked the question. And remember, in, in the room with him right now, you have one betrayer, but you had 11 others that bailed out on him. Yeah, John, we see the disciple that he loved, it says in the Gospel of John, was at the cross as well. But along the way, where was everybody else? We're going to get to Peter. He's got a different kind of statement. But every one of them fell away in that moment. 
one would betray him. One would go beyond falling away. One would leave the meal. If you look in the other Gospels, it says that Satan entered him, and he left. He was gone. What did the rest of the guys think? You can see that in the Gospels, they don't speak kindly of Judas, right? They're not very nice about all this that happened. But we see that the question is left there for everybody. And he says to them in verse 20, it's one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Mark just leaves it there. He makes us wonder if we're just reading this for the first time. We can guess by the previous passage that it's Judas. Think about what the disciples were thinking. It's one of you guys. So they start looking around. All of a sudden, that photograph got a little bit different, or that painting. The harsh truth, honestly, is that it could have been any of us. Could have. We know it was Judas, and we know that the, the, the fate that would fall upon him was awful. But friends, it could be any of us. God is faithful. Jesus held them close. We realize, as he says, that one would have to betray him, that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And we looked at Psalm Psalm 41 last week, where we saw that one of his friends who ate bread with him would betray him. We see that fulfilled, ultimately, in Judas Iscariot. It could have been any of us. And the fact is, they did all fall away at that point. They all, they all denied him. They all abandoned him. And he would face this suffering by himself. But he was preparing them, ultimately, to see what we talked about last week, his fulfillment. The fulfillment of history. The fulfillment of salvation that we have in Jesus alone. All of these things that happened point directly to the point of the sacrifice for our sins. Sin just doesn't disappear. Sin must be paid for. God, in His sovereignty, brought the disciples to this point where they had a choice. And one chose poorly. What does it say in verse 21? For the Son of Man, as Jesus called himself, goes as it is written of him. It's going to happen. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. These things have been prophesied that would come. The suffering that the the Son of Man would endure for the salvation of humanity. But woe to the one who betrays him. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The fact is, without faith in Christ, it would have been better if we never would have been born. That's a harsh thing to to come to the point of realization. But the Bible points straight to Jesus every time. 
He is the one who brings fulfillments. He is the one who prepared the way of salvation. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. It all goes back to Him. And here in this moment, this must happen because it was prophesied to happen. And the question is, when we come to that place, we have to be reminded of what I spoke of last week. Whether we're a betrayer, whether we're a denier, we are all what? Sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus came for everybody. And yes, one of his closest friends would betray him. And that penalty was eternal. We still have breath in our lungs. Where will we be found? Will we be in the Judas category? The one that would betray him? Ultimately, never placing faith in who he was. Remember, Judas, he, he could have wanted he, uh, Jesus to be a political savior, he, whatever it may have been. All these different things he could have been. He didn't add up. And he said, I'm done with this. We're going to deal with where I'm going to deal with the way I'm going to deal with it. Your decisions matter. Your choices matter. For Judas, it was harsh. But think about the rest of them. The 11, as they may be. What do we know? And a few days later, spoiler alert, Jesus rose from the dead. If you didn't catch that part yet, pretty neat, pretty unique, different than any moment that it ever happened in history before, then, or since. Guys, that just doesn't happen. And who was with him in the upper room after that? The 11. He offers grace to the other disciples. And we see, if we look at church history, but especially in the New Testament, even we have especially the accounts of Peter and Paul. But you see that they went and they proclaimed the Gospels. The Gospel. (laughs) The Gospels are what we have here. They told the good news of what Jesus Christ had done for them. So today, we can ask that question. That's the biggest question, I think, in history right there. Is it I? trusted Christ as my Savior. And I could ask that question in that conversation. Is it going to be me that betrays him? No. It's Jesus. And you may be thinking, maybe I'm like Judas today. Maybe I'm the one that's betraying Christ in my life right now. Now, this is a unique moment in history, and it will not be repeated. Judas' betrayal fact is, if we don't place our trust in Christ, if we don't accept his forgiveness, ultimately, that we receive human, our fate is the same. But if we trust in Christ, if we, if we 
realize what He has done for us, then when we ask that question, we can come to a similar conclusion of the disciples. The rest of them. Did I? Jesus gave them the answer. It's going to be one of them. Who is it? Who is Jesus to you? I know who Jesus is. Jesus is the almighty creator of heaven and earth. But Jesus' question for Peter, remember in Matthew chapter 16, what was the question? Who do you say that I am? And that's the question he's asking you and I today. What was Peter's answer? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So when that question is asked of you, how will you answer? Let's pray. Lord, this is such a difficult passage to see the harsh reality of fulfillment. see everything that you endured for us on the cross. Lord, I, I pray that you would be at work in each of our hearts now to, to guide us to answer that question. When we come to the place, am I that betrayer? That we would answer instead the way Peter answered when Jesus asked him that question, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Help us examine our hearts today that we would bless you. In Jesus' name. Stand together as we sing. The altar is open. How will you respond to him today?